Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everyone doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding. Sitting next to Jeff again. Jeff, how's it going today? Uh, it's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. If this is the first time you are tuning in, make sure you hit that subscribe button, both on the podcast and YouTube side of things. If you want to support everything we're doing here at Focus Compounding, you could do that very easily by leaving a rating and review. If you're going to leave us anything less than five stars, don't even do it. But if you want to help us out, five star mm -hmm. rating and review. Thank you so much for the support. Coming up on 300 episodes. So this would be, I think, 298 or 299 okay. almost 300 absolutely insane that's a lot of content out there on the internet be fun mm -hmm. to look back at one day i mean like i've been re-uploading a lot of your old podcasts it's kind of cool yeah. it's kind of cool to see that you know and see the the evolution through the years and listen to different things of what you were thinking at the time it's kind of like journaling and real you know just a different version of it yeah we should have planned something special for 300 yeah yeah, we, we then maybe we will. We're recording. <laughs> well, we're going to record the 301 soon. So um, uh, thank you so much for all the support. It's been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So today's podcast is going to be a free-form podcast. We're going to start to upload these on Tuesdays okay? because I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, uh, things that's just going on in our lives, less timeless stuff, just things that I guess you could say like, so like new stuff, what's on our listeners' minds. So everybody listening... I will do a Q&A or call for questions every now and right. then, but just DM me okay. on Twitter or email me, Andrew at Focus Compounding, questions that you want us to talk about on the podcast, and I'm just going to pull it. I'll cue it, uh, whether through the DMs or on my email, and we're just going to talk about it uh, throughout this podcast every single week. Um, uh, I have some things that people have been asking of you, so we could just you know learn a little bit what's on mm -hmm. our listeners' minds and uh, talk about it on the show. So... First things first, Jeffrey Gannon, what are some interesting companies you've looked at recently or maybe companies that you passed on? Well, I haven't looked at a lot of companies recently that are that interesting, I would say. Um, I did write up some things for the website. You so did. I, I wrote up Universal Insurance, which is a stock we'd mentioned on the um, podcast before, and I felt kind of obligated because you showed the investor presentation. We're like, oh, this is kind of interesting and stuff. So I was like, oh, I got to write it up. <laughs> uh, it took me a while to write it up because I actually looked at it and decided I wasn't that interested in it. But I did a write up just saying why I'm not interested in yeah. it. Universal Insurance Holdings, a cheap and fast growing Florida hurricane exposed insurer I'm going to pass on. Yeah. And I also wrote up, um, I think, Silvercrest Asset Management, which is an asset manager. Um, and uh, related to that also was a... Uh, that we talked about before, I guess, or no, we didn't talk about it before investor title, right? Mm, investor yeah. title, which is a title insurance company. Those have the same issue, which is that you know the inv the investment portfolio and and whether bonds and stocks are kind of expensive, and so the price to book might look reasonable on them, but they're you know kind of expensive. That's an interesting one. The title insurance company is interesting. It's trading at like I don't know eight or nine times earnings, something low like that right now. But of course, what were its premiums up last year? Probably fifty percent or something crazy. Mm, yeah, you know t the mortgage stuff is going crazy right now. Yeah, I was interested in that company. I talked to you about it. And you're like, well, I could see, and I think you wrote about it a little bit in the post. You said, well, I could see maybe buying one at like the bottom of the cycle, not potentially, you know, 10 or 12 years in. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. I really do think it's interesting, but I also think people may be surprised how far mortgage activity declines in the next few months. Oh, really? Because the rates? Yeah. yeah. So you think loan demand is going to go down? Um, yeah. I, I mean, for a time, I mean, their stuff also depends on refinancing and all of those sorts of things that drives mortgage stuff so refinancing stuff drives mortgage stuff it's not just building new homes and things like that um i mentioned a little bit on theirs that um 
you have uh um so they they do other things like exchanges a uh, uh so I don't want to get into all of this, but basically I think they're making some money that people think is like fee-based money, which is actually because they have huge amounts of float that is actually other people's money that's only there for a few days that has to do with like uh, real estate transactions that are um, exchanges that aren't taxed, okay? So they're like selling out of one piece of real estate and buying another, things like that. And um, other real estate related deals, that means they have large amounts of float momentarily for things. Um, and I think short-term interest rates drive their their returns in that. And so I think some of that activity may be slower um, for them. But I actually don't think it, I, I don't expect it to drop like by a huge amount or something for them. I'm just saying that last year was abnormal, right? Like especially the growth and everything yeah. mm-hmm. because of the the pandemic and um, the incredibly low rates, right? Yeah. Home improvement was killing it last year. Time. Yeah. So... I still think the stock looks interesting. I mean, it looks very cheap, even if you adjust for those things compared to a lot of other businesses. We could pull it up on QuickFS. Yeah. Quick I, I don't, yeah, I don't want to make it sound like it's not cheap. It is cheap. Um, compared to other, relative to other stocks today, it's cheap. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, it was a good year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, current PE on TTM numbers, eight times, even yeah. EBITDA six times. But let's see. But premiums were up. Yeah. And that's earned premiums, not written, by the way. Um, yeah, like Kager's in premium, about 13% over the past 10 years. Yeah. So if you look, I be- so it's 40, right? I'm reading that right. It's 40% in yeah. earned premiums. And we would have more information on the written premiums. Um, so very high. But still, I don't think that's crazy, though. If you look at long-term charts on home demand and all of that, I think, um, versus how much was being built out, you've been under... For most of the last 10 years, you haven't been, activity hasn't been abnormally high. So I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's that far from actually being eight times earnings. Um, but in the past, it was lower in the cycle. Like it was below trend. Last year was not below trend. Mm-hmm. Um, still. But even if it is and you're wrong and it turns out that it's 13 times normal earnings, which probably isn't. It's probably closer to eight than 13. But even if it was and you're, you know, you're off by like a, a third or whatever. Um, it's still very reasonably priced stock because I mean, long-term returns in it, you can see there have been pretty good, mm-hmm. you know, what the return on equity is, what the growth is, all those sorts of things in the very long term. that's coming out of a housing bust there, but, um, it would still be a reasonably priced stock at, you know, like 13 times earnings. Look, the market's at what, 20 or something. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it says eight, but it's really 20 times normal earnings. It's not like that. So it's cheaper than most stocks and, uh, it's interesting, you know, it has pretty good, you can look at the results going back. 30 years probably on the SEC website or at least 25 years, probably 30. And they're solid other than the housing bust. They're, they're solid results. Controlled so, company or a it's fam- well, family. Pretty big chunk. Yeah. 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 Like I said, you see that a lot in the insurance space. I feel like at least in like the over the counter, the market, smaller even ones. Though this yeah. Isn't NASDAQ, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were your thoughts on universal insurance holdings? pass we did like i said a podcast on huh? we talked about it went through the investor presentation yeah i mean i don't have a good feel for management is basically what i said management in the organization i showed you know talked about their combined ratio it's been getting worse every year for a long time um they do earnings guidance which i'm not in love with so they do this earnings guidance which basically tells you what earnings would be if weather was normal and in any given year is not normal so 
that's kind of difficult. And then um, I guess the other thing is I had mentioned reinsurance rates in the podcast that I felt that maybe they had been getting good results because of reinsurance rates. And I looked at that and it's true that reinsurance was uh, rates had fallen by a third and fell basically every year throughout the first part of the last decade and the last three years have been going up. So basically you have rising loss ratios. Um, they're, they're having higher and higher losses and um, higher reinsurance costs. And then as best I could tell, they've been increasing their policies by almost 10% a year while they're not really increasing their pricing. But they did mention in the earnings call transcript they're going to try to increase their prices a lot. So it sounds like people are trying to increase that. And then we also mentioned uh, Demotech, which does um, ratings for that. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. go and look at their website and stuff, they do have a thing about specifically uh, putting a watch on like Florida insurers and stuff like that. Because we had talked about that, why they rate it and not AM Best. And they focus on insurers like that. Yeah. Is that the rating you go to if you can't get an AM Best rating? Yeah. <laughs> well, they specialize in things that AM Best didn't rate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think I mentioned that they're like companies that use tons of reinsurance and companies that are focused on Florida. This is the, uh, not this company, Universal is, I believe, the biggest Florida homeowners insurance company. Uh, I mean, they have the biggest market share. Um, I think they actually have slightly more than anyone, even slightly more than like State Farm and companies like that. And it's also their their concentrating. I was going to say, does that concentration worry you? Hmm. Not really. Um, I think it's okay to be concentrating on one thing if you have the right balance sheet and everything. Honestly, what worries me more, which I talked about there, is they've increased the amount. Uh, if you look, they've increased the number of policies by almost the same amount every year, no matter what. I was going to say, looking yeah. at their 10-year CAGR of revenue, 16%, yeah. premiums 18.4% for an insurance company. That's some, yeah. That's some massive growth. I just felt like maybe they've been that there's been a lot of volume growth without pricing growth, and there's been some signs that maybe you shouldn't be doing that as aggressively as they have been. But you know, like if like I said, if I had a better feel for management and understood them and stuff, it would be different. But it has a pattern of insurers that is the kind of thing that I'm reluctant to invest in. But as I said at the end of that uh, write up, on the other hand, they get one good year of a whether that works out for them and other things they've got litigation and stuff um things that are trends that aren't so good but you get one good year like you get some price increases through that workout and weather cooperates and suddenly you're going to be earning two three dollars a share no no problem mm-hmm. right and what is this 15 dollars stock yeah and i said there's statistically you can have three great years for weather that's very possible and if it does, the, the stock will have to skyrocket because you'll be earning, you know, like I said, you, you know, you'll earn two thirds of the value of the stock in three years or something because you just look at the price to premiums, right? You see how low that is. Mm-hmm. So a company that used to underwrite. So at one point they had a combined ratio where they were making 25 cents pre-tax um, uh, before their investment results. So their, their combined ratio was like 75 around that area. It was like 74. Um, if you do that, you can imagine you make 26 cents uh, for every dollar you write. So that's pretty good if your price, if your market cap to premiums is one, well, it's a lot lower than that. Yeah. So you're writing several dollars of premiums compared to your market cap. So it's very leveraged to good results. It just has, you know, if you want to bet on Florida, uh, insurance prices will firm up and there'll be some good weather. You know, of course the stock will, will mm. go up a lot. Kind of reminds me 
totally different situation, totally okay. different industry, but like Amark precious yeah, metals. When I we know. talked about I that, I ended that by saying that, yeah, like if it gets, if the world becomes much more volatile, this company's yep. going to skyrocket and it's, it's up like massively. Yeah. And Amark precious metals was similar in that. I said, you know, I forget if the stock was at like say $11 and I said, look, $8 of this is like investment is like invest. It's, um, AMRK. Yeah. Um, is like investment, like a business I like. And then the rest is speculative, but is it a good speculation? Yeah, if you wanted to speculate on volatility in gold and silver, that's the way to do it. So yeah, it's up, you know, four times or something. Yeah. Because yeah. that eight bucks at a low in twenty twenty. Yeah. But even before that, you could call it like yep. ten, thirteen. But bucks. you can look at that, and now people will now people will be attracted to it because if you look based on its past earnings. And its guidance, it'll look like a value stock, right? Mm -hmm. So it'll start looking like the P is low. That's what you see with a lot of cyclical companies. Yeah, <laughs> but what people should be uh, worried about with Amark Precious Metals is if you look, um, how much did it make an operating profit last year? $30 million. Okay, and then... Which it, is like more than all it made since like Yeah, one, two, three, combined. four, five, six... I mean, that's about what it made in like the last six or seven years combined, yeah. I think. Mm -hmm. So in one year, it made that much. But that's not a surprise because as I described, it's kind of like an investment bank, like a market maker kind of thing in physical um, gold and silver. Mm -hmm. So obviously that went crazy with the pandemic. Um, it even went crazier than like the um, kinds that people would trade normally, institutions and stuff, um, the, the actual physical stuff. Um, so it's the spreads on that that I think are important. I think the pricing is also somewhat important. The company says it isn't, though, so that's just my slight disagreement on that issue. But the, but no doubt, the most important thing is the volatility of the spreads. Like basically, what is the spread on um, the physical commodity? Yeah. Is there a reason the past couple companies you've written up have been financial? Yeah, I think they're cheap. Um, I'm finding a lot more in financial stuff than in other areas of the market, mostly because other areas of the market are really difficult to find things. Mm -hmm. Um, it's hard because I don't necessarily like those things as much. I mean, I came away from, I looked at Silvercrest Asset Management, I looked at Investor's Title, and my big warning with each of them was the business might be pretty good, mm -hmm. but remember you, when you buy into it, you are putting yourself somewhat in the same position as an investor. Like um, Investor's Title Insurance Company has um, quite a lot of uh, equities, right? And then the rest of the stuff is in bonds. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not necessarily very long-term bonds, but it's a very big investment portfolio, which if it doesn't sound like it, you're like, okay, well, what does it really matter? But when you look at the price to book, a lot of people say, well, price to book of one is cheap. Okay. But would you buy a you know a sixty forty bond and stock portfolio? And by the way, it's not sixty forty with them. It's probably more like um, eighty five fifteen or something. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. But um, and it, at cost, it probably is like they held on to their equities when they went up a lot. But I think at cost, they were probably putting eighty over eighty percent into bonds. So you know, would you buy? Ask yourself, would you buy Treasury bonds to yield? You know whatever, 3% or whatever it is, if you were getting them at that, at a price, because you think you're getting some discounted book, there's not a discounted book here at all. Mm -mm. Um, but you're saying the price to book is good, but the book is bonds and stocks. So, you know, cause they mark these things to market now, mm -hmm. all the stuff. And, and then it also complicates it with the earnings. So, uh, however, I think that's pretty re the important thing is that it's pretty reasonably priced compared to the underwriting results, which you can see here. 
So if you look, it's what one and a half times premiums. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the very long term history, that's pretty well um, justified that price just from underwriting results, not from the investment side of it. So I do like it. I like title insurers generally. You got a good price here. You know, I don't know if you had you need to do title something. insurance. Yeah, if you had to do Such something. a small part on that, what you're purchasing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and it's almost a micro cap. Mm-hmm. You know, it's close to a $300 million company. Um, somebody asked, would love to hear about how you and Jeff take notes, or more generally, just your daily process, workflow, et cetera. That was another fund manager. Another fund manager asked that? Yeah. Okay. Let's look into, yeah. I wish I had a better uh, process, don't you? Yes and no. Okay. Uh, the thing I wish I could improve is finding more uh, ideas. Yeah. You know, uh, having a systematic way. So that's what people ask about all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any systematic way. I've never been able to uh, find a systematic way for getting ideas that I like. Um, running screens. I see every time you run the screen because, like, if I go and run it yeah. like a week later, it always says last time you ran it. Yeah. Show. Well, the problem with those screens is they basically show up the same companies. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I've done some different things, going in different places and looking for stuff, um, to see. Uh, we've talked about forums and things and stuff like that, but a lot. You know, I we're looking in the same kind of area of companies, so I don't look through all size companies. And there's certain areas I don't really look at. Um, so we're mostly, for the most part, the things that I'm interested in are going to be U.S. companies, microcap type size and down, which is like half the market. Um, and uh, probably not very high technology, biotech type things, something that's made money for at least a couple of years in a row, right? Truth is, I know a lot of those. I mean, they've been around already, yeah. so I actually recognize the names right away. So there's not that many that show up and surprise me, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a price screen you run, you go, oh, it's cheap. I didn't know that something fell. Like, you know, But I don't often come. The problem is I wish I could keep discovering companies that I didn't know about. Um, and you bring companies to me mm-hmm. and suggest them. And I look at them. I wish I had a better system for doing that. But there's just, there isn't one. It's hard. I run, you know, the same screen as well. And you're right. I mean. There's just a lot of companies I don't that I've f- looked at before or whatever. I may forget the, t- the name, but then I start reading the description. I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, I've definitely read this 10K before. Yeah, the really good ideas I find are usually um, not from a screen. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, We've talked about that. Yeah, it, it's something that you look at and then you f- have a different way of thinking about it, mm-hmm. I guess, is the right way of putting it. So, um, Or maybe a little screen in the future or something like that. Mm-hmm. Screen cheap in the future. What I always want is to find a high quality company I didn't know about before. <laughs> so Perfect world. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. I know. I, I talked to people about a company in Australia. Okay. Yeah, you did. And you suggested it to me. Yeah. I asked you. Yeah. So take a look. <laughs> yeah. I read. Look, I read all of it. I no, I know. I, know. I, I wouldn't bring you a yeah. company that I knew you. you no, I read the investor read presentation. I read yeah. the annual report. Yeah. yeah I read I it all. Which interesting. Um, Whether you decide to take a deeper look or not. But I'm like, I think QB, it's the industry, the framework fits within the framework. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I go back and forth on this. So, uh, so, um, I think maybe I should look. I wrote up Universal Insurance, even though I didn't have positive things to say about it. I read a lot more 10Ks than I write up, and mm-hmm. I, that's the thing I go back and forth on. Should I write them all up for the site? And then it's just me 
having somewhat not positive things to say about companies. Mm -hmm. yeah. and it's not that they're bad. I didn't say Universal's not a stock you should buy. I actually said, look on the probabilities and stuff. It might be a good buy, actually. I yeah. can't at all prove it's bad, and I wouldn't suggest that. If someone said you have to go long or short it, I definitely would not say I would go mm -hmm. short it. Um, definitely not. So from that perspective, should you buy it? Maybe. Maybe that's what I was saying. Mm -hmm. I was saying I'm passing on it. Uh, I aim our precious metals. I would never have gone short that. So if you said you have to pick one or the other, I guess I would say, okay, it, it looks it looks cheap compared to, both of them look cheap compared to what a good year would look like for mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. But a lot of stocks are like that. Um, so. That's tough. Trying to, you know, it's tough I feel like right now because you look at a company like, you know, that we were just talking about, it may screen super cheap, but then you're like, they just hit a boom, you know, whether it was because of 2020 right. or 2019, trying to handicap, okay, what does normalized earnings look like? What's normal going forward? Yeah. Because a lot of stuff, not a lot, but some stuff does screen super cheap. And I've seen a lot of people get smoked and, you know, companies like that, because that's when you find like, yeah. those two to three time PEs. And then you know, earnings fall off a cliff and all of a sudden you have like a 30 PE company that's declining for the yeah. time being. I'll be honest here with investor title insurance. I think it's like an investor title company. I think we have a Mary Poppins type situation here. You know, really? Buffett with the Disney Mary Poppins. I predict both very possible earnings will go down, mm -hmm. but also it's probably cheap. Because if you do the math on it, look, if you say, okay, it, it's 1.5 times or 1.4 times what it was before. And let's say you thought it was normal before. If you look at how their earnings are now, they're, they're somewhat economies of scale and things. It really isn't more than like um, 13 times earnings or something, probably, if we do the math. Um, you know, so unless you have like 100% probability that you know it's unsustainable this year, then it probably is a little cheap. And then you also have to factor in that other stocks of this quality are at 20 times. Mm -hmm. Not all insurers, not all banks, but they are at really at 20 times. And this is something that's earned good returns for a very long time uh, on average. If you look, the only times it had bad returns was in the um, the housing cri uh, crisis, you know. So. Um, so that individual that asked the question, mm -hmm. what about how you take notes? Are you still using Rome research? No, 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 I'm not. So, it. uh, I, so I take notes by writing directly emails on from it. people with the Rome cult. Well, I set up a, so are we revealing all of these facts about what, that no, we, not? about what? I don't know. What are you talking about? Where we used to record this podcast? Uh, no, you don't need to talk. About okay. That. So anyway, so we used to record this don't podcast. Don't tell them we record on the side of the road. <laughs> so we, we, we have, we're, have more office space now yeah. let's put it that way so we have more separate office space so i have more space to work in that isn't taken out by this equipment i did feel bad about that yeah for a long time you did it so i have a dedicated desk area that's different from my computer desk so i can now have a desk for working without a computer and a desk for working at a computer and because of that i have all written stuff and stack it in different things and stuff now and so i actually do write down and keep things and files in front of me a lot more now than mm -hmm. i used to do on the computer i prefer doing it on the physical stuff that i write it down so not using any sort of software to take notes correct i don't um i i write down on it and then i keep the files and then every week i dump out the stuff i don't want to keep and then i keep the file away permanently other stuff i do want to keep um so like investor title company right it's interesting enough that that file would get kept 
Okay. Got it. Yeah. So I don't keep universal insurance. I'm not keeping that file. That one goes in the trash. It doesn't mean I'll never revisit it or something, but if that helps you figure out which stock I'd be more interested in, I keep that file and mm -hmm. not the other one, you know? Yeah. So I've been using my iPad more Okay. for 10Ks and stuff. Because I tell you, there's some companies I'm like, I've never read about this company before. And then I'm like, I read the description. I'll be like, I read this 10K like a year and a half ago. Okay. Right. Um, so what I'll do is I'll mark it up and stuff like that using my iPad. Good. And so I got a, an like. Apple pen. All right. Yeah. Some of the stuff that we've used on the podcast have, has come from me actually doing it. All right. Uh, and then I just put in a folder on my iPad and, uh, you know, I like to read on there. I like to read using the iPad. I've talked to you about this too. Even if I'm reading like an SEC document mm -hmm. on my computer, I'm like, a, <laughs> I like zoom it up so much because it's okay. much easier on my eyes. Like yes. Printing is great but it also kind of hurts my eyes because it's smaller font for the I, sec files yes really small. i prefer yeah, bigger yeah. fonts so that's why i kind of been liking nah. using uh, my ipad because i just make the font bigger by clicking like the little a big a and then I that is true because like when i read on the kindle i don't put the font down to the size of an sec that's, document I got that from <laughs> me too. yeah i'm like we look like you know 80 year olds because your kindle it's like big it's like what five lines for the yeah page, i do you know? huge Same print thing uh, huge print on the kindle um yeah. i told a buddy about that and he's like he started doing it, he's like yeah it's a lot easier on the eyes it's just easier <laughs> because no here's the thing people always talk about like i say i don't read fast and stuff but it doesn't matter how fast you read most people stop reading yeah so if you sit down and read for four hours you're actually gonna get way more done when people say they're a slow reader they mean they read for 30 minutes and they go oh my eyes and then yeah. they stop reading and i noticed that about you when we we're on a plane <laughs> going probably like new jersey or some last year uh, I was kind of looking to see how quick you, how fast you're clicking yeah. that next page. But I'm like, he doesn't read fast. Like, no, I mean, any fast, but you, but should, you, but you just do it for so you long. You just keep doing it. You, yeah. you get a comfortable chair or whatever. You put that size, the Kindle size, um, mm -hmm. to a comfortable size. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because the reason they made it that size for these documents originally is how much they could print. Yeah. You know, like print books, like um, there's some author was talking about it. And they're like, well, my novel has to come in at like 1,100 pages because they said we can't bind something that's more than, you know, that, yeah. that's any more than that. So there's a, they actually have to fit that much. That's why newspapers are printed that size to save money on the paper and everything. So you can do this size here. Yeah, I like larger font. Um, but yeah, so I use the iPad. I've been using the iPad with the Apple Pen. It's mm -hmm. pretty sweet. Uh, highlighting stuff, keeping notes. I use this app called, what is this app called? PDF Expert okay. through the iPad, and that's where I store everything. Um, let's see. Somebody asked you, since you guys talked about banks again recently, how do you judge the quality of a bank's loan book? It's a great question. They split off their loans into the different categories like CNI and real estate, but how do you go deeper than that? How do you know if one bank's real estate loans are riskier than another bank's real estate loans? What do you like to see in a bank loan book? and whatnot great question yeah so you can look at the call reports which are on um actually there's lots of information about them on otc markets now they're actually pretty easy to find and everything so that's probably the place to go for it i used to always say F fdic but now you don't really need to you can find them easily there um and so it gives it in great detail and then companies that file with the sec you're also going to get their breakdown in the 10k um, so they usually categorize the loans and the different problems that they would have. The things that you would see would be, um, other real estate owned, non-performing assets. And then they're going to have categories of things like special mention and, and that sort of thing. Um, the, you know, it's, I think it's very hard to know. Um, you have to have a lot of faith in management. Yeah. I, when you're talking about the same category, right. And especially if you don't have a long history of them lending in that category, 
right? So let's say it was a small percentage of the bank a few years ago. Now it's a lot bigger or something like that. It's I don't know how to evaluate that. Mm. Um, if they've been doing you know energy loans for thirty years or uh, construction loans for thirty years or whatever, and that's what they focused on, then maybe you have a little more faith on that. Uh, but yeah, I think it's very hard. And sometimes I think they can be how they explain it and what investors buy into. You know, you know that there's bank that I'm not that fond of that we don't mention on the podcast because I don't like to criticize them. Uh, pick out banks to criticize. Yeah, you gotta be careful with finance stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I noticed that everyone repeats certain things about what management says to them. And while I think that what management is saying is not entirely false, I think that it's that they're letting them kind of believe. Um, people repeat what's in the investor presentation, right? Mm -hmm. So with that bank, I think that the loans themselves are better uh, protected. Um, however, I think the projects are riskier. And I don't think that people are carefully understanding. I don't think they're understanding what management is saying literally. Um, and that happens sometimes where like um, there's a, you're, most people are just going to read the presentation of their bank. They're not going to read other banks. So that's what you get to, to take away from it. Yeah. Right? I was going to say I, OTC markets, they did like a small community bank, uh, investor presentations and stuff like that mm -hmm. so i was just watching like pitch after pitch and just it's interesting yeah. hearing the ceo describe their business and their bank and from different parts of the country and mm -hmm. listen to the way that they think about banking today and in the future um one executive said he thinks like the efficiency ratio is going to be like super important over the next 10 years and banks with low efficiency ratios are going to survive much easier than and i get it like theoretically that's true, but it was just interesting hearing his perspective on it. So it was kind of cool. I mean, we'll never, I don't think we'd ever buy that bank, but it's just interesting to learn more what other bank executives think about their business and their loans and stuff like that. Um, one thing I do is I keep Google alerts on banks that we follow just because mm -hmm. if they're going to lend and do a massive project or a large project, okay. it's probably going to be newsworthy and being like yeah. a newspaper or have an article about it. So it's just kind of interesting, but you're right. I mean, banks really are, a, a black box you know and and in some cases and so you're betting a lot on you know management and i think it's good to bet on banks that aren't doing anything sexy and they're not doing anything you know it's hard from reading these banking books and this was so impressive to me about jamie diamond and mm -hmm. other banks too is that it gets very hard we talked about this too with being a good investor it's very hard to be um, not be a, you know part of the crowd when yes. things start to go crazy, mm -hmm. and the best bank executives are okay being on their own because something looks insane to them, or they just don't want to get caught up in a speculative craze. Yeah. So one way to think about it, I guess, is what I just did with talking about universal insurance. So what I was looking for, was hoping for, when I'm seeing these deteriorating results in Florida, is that the actual number of policies is maybe being pulled back on sooner and that you know if you're not getting any pricing improvements um while your losses are seem there seem to be trends that are indicating losses are going to be higher then you're not growing at that same pace but it worries me if you're growing you're actually growing you know your number of um policyholders by like 10 percent a year or something in that mm -hmm. environment right so same thing here if you're seeing accelerating loan stuff um in a category that worries you um but then when you say like, is your real estate loans better than someone else's? Yeah, that's hard. I mean, usually like 
the one who's the last in in something that's not their area of expertise and stuff is going to have the most problems uh, versus someone who's been there a long time. So that's something to watch out for. You don't want to, you'd be more concerned about someone who makes a lot of loans late in a cycle suddenly and is a, you know, very rapid growth. You want slow growth, I'd say, and more experience. Um, what about if like a insurance company, so we could take universal, mm -hmm. What if they went into a different market and started writing premiums over there? So like outside of Florida, how would you try to handicap? Yeah, that? and they are. There's just not a lot. Because um, sometimes you have banks, right? At some point, they go into other markets. Yes. I think it's really hard to do. Um, I mean, it, it depends. It, it depends on how close it is to the market that they're in and what kind of you know, the, what the similarity is, but it's easy to think that, you know, uh, another market as well as the one that you're in. Sure. And, and that's the worrying part about it, but you know, it doesn't have to be geographic. It could be the same kind of risk that you're taking and then it might be okay. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that that's an issue, but you know, we talk about investor title insurance company, you know, title insurance and different, there are advantages to having title insurance in, in one state, but you're doing the same thing in other states. So that could be a lot easier than moving into another kind of insurance in the same state. So I do, but I do, yeah, worry about it. Sure. Um, I've seen lots of things with construction loan problems in, in other uh, states. And that also could be that you're making loans that other people wouldn't make, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I I think growth that's very high, like you said, that's following other people is the big concern that I have usually. Um, there's sometimes where I, you know, I read about things in it, in an area and think that it's kind of um, having a, it, it's sort of a problem area right now. A few years ago, I wrote something about CarMart and I said that, well, I thought they were okay. I thought that car loans, subprime car loans were a little risky. Um, like that those loans in that year were, were bad. And, um, so if I saw someone moving big into that area, that would worry me, you know, basically the Chuck Prince, um, mm -hmm. quote, right. Mm -hmm. So if it seems that that's, that they have that attitude, that's what you want to worry about. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess while we're on this topic, somebody has asked, there's been a couple of times that you've talked about not liking the auditor of a company. Okay. How do you go about forming that opinion? What are some things that stick out to you? What are some things that could make you stay away? Thoughts on that? So I think most people spend too much worrying about this and too much conspiracy theories and stuff like that. But I do always look up on the PCAOB. You can find the auditor. And um, the big thing I'm looking for is I don't want the company to sort of be shopping around for an auditor and have picked the auditor because... Um, They'll sign off on something. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that they that they're... I don't want a lot of selectivity with the auditor that they're picking. Um, some companies are cheap, and so they pick an auditor for that reason. And some auditors, um, you know, some companies are really small, and auditors that are of more of the size that would normally be auditing them aren't doing public companies. So an auditor might – there. there's plenty of auditors who aren't – since they don't have other issuers who are public companies – they're either going to drop them eventually if they're like their only client that's doing that, or you're going to have to find a more expensive auditor. Mm -hmm. um, you can find a list of the biggest auditors that there are. The things that would interest me um, to see that I want to see would be 
<laughs> that there's a local connection and also there's an industry connection. So you're going to notice that some auditors um, do more in like financial services or something like that. That would be more the auditor you'd want to see. And then you'd want to see an auditor that's, um, I would say that's pretty local. What I don't want to see is a one man yeah. auditor from across the country yeah. that audits barely any other public companies there's a and co no one else in your industry and stuff like that, yeah. you know, cause it seems like you picked them. Um, there's a company I saw one time, I won't say where, but it was across the country was where their auditor was located. If you Googled the auditor's address, it was his house, his or hers house. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, but if we know, I mean, if you see that it, we know it costs to have an audit. If you see a public company say they're spending thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars for their audit, and they're not getting any tax uh, stuff from that, why are they taking them? Mm -hmm. It's pretty hard to convince them. Yeah, you know, I just mean they'd be like, "Well, you're never going to become some big client that we have." I mean, compare that to some of the companies that we own and stuff. What do you think Naco spends for their audit? A lot. <laughs> so, and they, but they have like a big uh, firm. You know, they have one of the the big four or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um. Yeah, those are my concerns. And it's not the end of the world if you have an auditor that I don't like that much. The the thing I want to stress is um, if I don't like management, there's no auditor that would make me comfortable with the company that way. Mm -hmm. And if if the management is Warren Buffett, I don't care who the auditor is, you know? So I don't put... The auditor doesn't prepare the financial statements. And they just sign off on them, you know? Yeah. So I think the important thing is, you know, do I care about who the CEO is and the CFO and all of those sorts of things more so, but it's the same thing I say is like the Nevada corporation thing. Um, if a company happens to be incorporated in Nevada, it's not a problem. But if I'm saying they clearly sought out to be incorporated there, why? Mm-hmm. Um, there's different reasons you could do it, but some of those reasons aren't good. You know, why did a company seek out Delaware? Sometimes it's to simplify things and stuff. Sometimes you seek out a state for making things a little bit easier for maintaining control of the company or to perpetrate fraud or those sorts of things. If I was going to try to commit a fraud, Nevada would be an obvious place to do it. If I was going to do that, I would pick an auditor yeah. that basically doesn't have the resources to audit me. And that's a one man thing somewhere, mm -hmm. you know, across the country where they're going to come and spend a weekend, uh, basically, is how they're going to audit me. So recently you talked about, um, you could probably do a whole podcast on some books you've been reading. Mm -hmm. What are some of those books you've been reading? Anything interesting? So I've read a lot of books about social media companies. Really? Yeah. Those are the ones that I remember most recently. Um, what have I read recently? Book about Instagram, Snapchat. Unfiltered? Yeah. I read that too. Okay. Uh, Snapchat, what else? Um, Was that turned down a billion or something like that? Something like that. that. A good yeah. yeah, I read that too. Uh, TikTok. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, you going to create one? Create a TikTok? Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, and, and some others like that, yeah. So th those were interesting probably makes me less likely to invest in those kinds of companies to be uh, honest yeah yeah just because it it does make you think that maybe the presence of these other companies already being in there um these platforms made it easier to create these platforms subsequently you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. that it, the barriers are not that hard mm -hmm. creating my space 
was hard. Yeah, sure. Creating TikTok was easier. Well, they hit on it in Unfiltered how much of Instagram success came from Facebook, right. purchasing them and then like yes. blasting it out and doing mm-hmm. what they did, you know? Yeah. So they were interesting. Um, it, it's hard for me. I mean, they're, they're interesting books, but it's hard for me because it's a weird thing where I'm reading about, honestly, a product I... I don't want to sound negative. I know people use these products and our audience uses them. I don't like them and I don't like how they work and the, what they do to you and stuff. So most of these things are stuff I don't li- like as I read about them and what they're saying as benefits, I consider yeah. not a benefit, you know, Instagram's like, I'm depressed about my life, but I'll throw a filter on it and look happy. Yeah. So it, there's a lot of weird psychological so it was, things. It was fascinating when I read about it and I realized how I had noticed this about other people. And I never understood it sometimes with them uh, and what was going on when I noticed like I, so I've sometimes thought about that with like Facebook and stuff, which I don't have and don't use, but I noticed how some people use it and the difference between different generations and stuff and why they were doing it that way. And then when I read about the, in the book, it did explain it better. Why, uh, what I was seeing about younger people, um, basically going through and culling, cutting out stuff and things to try to make it fit with their current image of themselves it's odd yeah. even on twitter there could be a hundred people that give compliments like hey better pick from your content that one person's like you guys suck f you I'm yeah. like why am i thinking about this person you know yeah it um, doesn't it bothered me a lot more when uh we first started now i just i don't even care yeah i'm like whatever yeah get your research elsewhere so that was interesting with like snapchat and stuff about how much how important it was for them to be able to have things that didn't um i mean snapchat was last. literally created to like send like naked pictures yeah <laughs> that was my inspiration it. when they went public i was like if a i don't remember what 20 30 billion yeah right? if a company that was made to send uh naked pictures could go public for 20 30 billion dollars anything is possible yeah and so the yeah so the book talks a lot about that yeah that's all that i know that it did um, it's a 90 billion dollar company yeah but it was interesting reading about that and the way in which it was used and i did realize that from seeing other people using snapchat it was fascinating because it's very different from how they use other things although i don't know enough about tiktok so um but it, it snapchat is a communication thing oh yeah yeah, yeah sure. which is very different yeah. which i realized which is that facebook is not that anymore mm-hmm. really it started as that but it became over time not that part because it's more public like i have right fun. that's what it, exactly like and my it's childhood there friends. for per it's permanent and everyone can see it yeah. and you can't separate out basically you're not i mean the thing about snapchat is that you didn't want uh you wanted to not have your family seeing it and stuff yeah. not have other people seeing yeah. it yeah and that's the important thing yeah i have childhood friends and we're all in like a a group snapchat or whatever mm-hmm. and it is it's cool to keep in contact i mean we're all over the country now right but then when we do see each other back at home or whatever at times it's like you, we didn't even skip a beat you know i still i know what everyone's doing we <laughs> keep up with each other and stuff you know? yeah and it's a different way than i think you would do it with um facebook yeah i do find it weird i have to admit i've talked to people and they'll be like oh yeah i know what's going on with this person they're doing this and so it's like oh you talked to them no <laughs> you yeah. see something that they're putting out to yeah. other people what well, they it's want a small you to see. group they want you to see it yeah. but you're not actually talking to them so it is a yeah it's a generational change it's so odd though too it's the most fascinating thing to me I mean, younger kids mm-hmm. um like their obsession with watching other people play video games instead of playing video games right. themselves mm-hmm. so like minecraft and yep. you know 
people talking, uh, like commentating. That's why Twitch is so, you know, what it is now. Yep. It's just weird how things, you know, kind of end up like that. I don't know. TikTok's interesting too. The TikTok book was the most interesting book. So I got to read that because yeah. I don't, it's I very, there's not a lot of information about TikTok. Yeah. I made one when it first started because I was interested in it and I, I don't, I, Never go on it. I don't even have it the app on my phone. It sounded like if you're trying to design something, what would I hate the most of anything yeah, possible you. to create? Yeah. Because the basic theory with TikTok, which I understood when reading the book, because it's something I noticed with YouTube and stuff, is basically you think about so and and I talked to someone who's involved with AI stuff and, and they kind of mentioned this too. The problem with like what we do on YouTube and stuff is it's actually very bad for figuring out what people want to watch because it's too long format you want something that people is very short format and people are interacting with it very quickly. So you want something where they're either going, I don't want to see that as soon as, you know, like mm -hmm. um, say it's a Pandora thing or something and you're five seconds into it. No thumbs down. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of thing really helps a uh, machine learn what you want to see. So the thing with TikTok really is how do we take this content that isn't that's low quality and stuff and find the right people for it. Mm -hmm. You know, it, content in search of people instead of find people looking for content, you know? And um, and it's interesting. And it talks a little bit about that. The same thing as like with YouTube, where YouTube originally, you, people went in and searched for things. And now you can do that, but a remarkable number of people don't do that. It just keeps throwing things up at them and they go, okay. Yeah. It's not even necessarily what they want to watch, but it's close enough that it's recommended for them. Yeah, so you have, them. I think, the first, like, 15 seconds of a YouTube video to catch them. And if you look at these, quote, unquote, like, kings of YouTube, people mm -hmm. have, like, 15 million, 20 million subscribers. Their videos, they're all super fast-paced yeah, and, you know, four minutes long, three to four minutes. Right. They're super fast-paced and short. And there's no, like, air time. There's no, or, like, there's no, like, uh time or anything like that. Or let me look. It's, like, just cut and purposely like that. a lot of editing you had to do lots that. of yeah it. yeah yeah another thing with with um the tiktok thing that is um when reading about it it did mention some stuff which i had suspected is how youtube and some other things work which is that it when it doesn't have enough information on you it fills it in by having using basically someone who's overlaps with you seemingly similar to you so it fills it out according to a basically stereotype profile it stereotypes you and then fill, fills it with that and uh, and then as it learns more about you, it does that. Because I noticed that with YouTube and stuff that it suggests things that are crazy. But that makes sense if you realize it's because this is you would overlap with people this way mm -hmm. normally. Your group this would make sense for your group, but it's not making sense for you. You know. Um, so it, yeah, it was an interesting book. I it's, read all. Of it's funny when people will say. Oh my gosh, my phone or my laptop's listening to me because I was just talking about this and yes. now it's now yeah. getting ads. I'm like, you sure you didn't type it in? You sure you didn't text it in? Are you sure you didn't look at look it up on Google or something? Yeah. I know. That's odd. <laughs> well, let's bring it back to the whole like Apple and Facebook thing. You don't have a right. cell phone, so you don't know this, but like no. now to like upload pictures on a lot of apps or you have to almost like import it in a way. Like there's a second okay. level of security there. And Facebook's at what some people would consider to be a pretty cheap price right now. Probably okay. is, right? Pulling it up right now. Uh, for Facebook, 28 times earnings. EV to sales, 9.4. It's probably one of the cheaper times it's been. Since yeah, it's so this, this is the other thing that reading the books that concern me because it kind of is something that I felt might be the case from trying to learn about Facebook, talking to people about Facebook 
in life and how do they use it and what's changed and everything. And I could never figure it out. Um, what concerns me is that I don't have one. The uh, you don't have Facebook? No. no. Um, did you have Facebook and, you, and you, you got rid of it? Yes. When you became a public person or when? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I just, no, I don't. Like okay. It. Um, so that it's gotten better and better at the monetization and not necessarily a lot better in terms of certain core user things that uh, are important. So it has really impressive revenue growth and stuff if you oh, look yeah. at that. Yeah. But I don't know if the underlying numbers are as good. I mean, 2019, 70 billion and still grow 21%, 85 billion. It's very powerful. That's freaking insane. Very powerful advertising thing. Yeah. It's crazy. No, and I know a lot of old people who it's very successful monetizing them, and it's a very important part of their life and everything. Oh, so, yeah, sure. Yeah, not as many younger people. So it's interesting how that's happened. But, it, yeah, among certain demographics, it's, yeah, it, it, it is, it's what they'll use, and I don't see them switching to using anything else. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, obviously, there's, for Facebook, you're able to target things much more and use you know analytics oh, yeah. and ai and they have machine learning life. everything yeah. yeah everything about your life is there but i mean it's just like if you read barons you know there's going to be ads that are more targeted to people that read barons or like american banker and stuff like that. well that's the fascinating thing right because people talk about that with podcasting i get yeah, I it's different i get it but yeah but it, it's interesting that everyone's taking the model of the facebook stuff like like with podcasting um that they need to know the information of the people on it when you don't um, we know generally who your audience is for something like that, and you can target ads to that. But yes, it's very powerful for Facebook, and certain kinds of ads are going to work really, really well there. For some people talking to them, I've talked to some small business owners and stuff, and I don't think they have any other way of reaching people except through something like Facebook. Oh, sure. Yeah. If I were to tell people that are good with social media, what mm -hmm. they should do is they should just go to do social media for doctor's offices dentists like people mm -hmm. that are maybe later on in their career and don't want to do direct mail kind of get more with the times and they don't want to focus on it mm -hmm. imagine signing up a couple uh you know places like that that pay you like a thousand to two thousand a month and you have you know 10 people doing that I mean, you can mm -hmm. probably make good money doing it because social media is, is it is what it is and there's a lot of people that you probably should be doing it um and there's a lot of people that don't want to do it Unless you're trying to reach you, then they won't be able to reach you. No, they won't be able to reach me. I, I've never had a Facebook. No, I've never had any of these things. Did uh, have a Twitter. Did have Twitter. I did have Twitter. And that's the interesting thing, reading about these books. I haven't read one on Twitter. I have a book on Twitter to read. But uh, it was interesting about the difference between it and that, how much Twitter is, how important it is for news. Purposes, Twitter's right? the greatest platform in the world. But is it for monetization? Well, that's because it's thing, pure news people... and news is news has never been the big money maker in media. Mm -hmm. It's not the thing that makes the most money. Um, Do you know what Substack is? What? Substack? No. It's basically like a new form of like a blog. Okay. And, it, you know, it's all like integrated and stuff. And there's a lot of people that complain. They're like, why didn't Twitter do this? Like okay. Twitter's so slow with innovating. So you don't know this. Do you know what Clubhouse is? Have you heard of that? Yeah. Okay. Well, you do because of podcasting. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Twitter now has like their own Twitter spaces after Clubhouse came out. It's like, why didn't Twitter do all this? You know, why didn't they do all this before? I mean, I think Twitter's, the president 
yeah use twitter like every single day I mean, it's the most important platform in the world i don't even know what's trading at right now but well, I people do who care think... about news things care a lot about twitter oh my god but, yeah but if you go and try to talk to other people yeah okay I'm totally biased to my world i get it right yeah and the people who are listening to this podcast and people who are into news things and stuff that we would talk to so it could be politics it could be sports it could be um uh finance things like that right? there's like garden twitter i mean there's like all these little communities yeah but what i'm saying is if you have people who don't if, take people who don't who historically had not watched the news really mm-hmm. they do not use twitter at all it's a smaller it's a group of people who are who are caring a lot about like i said news type stuff it's actually a very different group than than what facebook is monetizing um yeah i mean you look at facebook they do 85, 86 billion in revenue. And you look at Twitter, and it's 3.7 billion. I tell people, when I try to tell them about FinTwit and the yeah. communities on Twitter, they just, they're like, right. so wait, is it like an actual group or like, uh, right. I'm like, no, it's mm-hmm. just like, you kind of follow these people. And then it's like, if you're in it, you're in it. Like, if you know, you know. But it's it's hard to explain. But I think it's the greatest platform. It really is. Yeah. But what's interesting about it from the monetization perspective is like when I was talking about newspapers and stuff, right? Um, newspapers, their dirty secret always was, even if you were the New York Times or something, um, some really impressive paper that was breaking all these stories and things, a huge amount of your profits came from classified. Mm. And Facebook is classified, right? Mm. You know, eBay, Craigslist, things like that. That's where book on eBay. where, where um, classified went, mm-hmm. right? Um, whereas Twitter is news. And it doesn't have a way to monetize the classified type thing. If you want to sell a piece of furniture um, in a local area, you don't do it through Twitter. No. Well, I mean, there's Craigslist. I mean, Craigslist UI mm-hmm. has not changed probably since it first came out. Just the most mm-hmm. fascinating thing, right? Facebook Marketplace has gotten pretty good as well. I don't know Facebook, mm-hmm. but that's like their own version of like eBay and like Craigslist. Yeah. Stuff. You put something on there and it's like gone in a second. People are like, want, want, want. Yeah. My stepmom uses it. And that has like, the, oh. when we talk about network effects and things, yeah. that, you know, classified is very important that way. And in some ways, that's what I was talking about with uh, TikTok and stuff is that you have the very low in a normal, it's, it's the opposite of broadcast, right? So the interesting thing about Twitter is that Twitter is much more news type stuff. Twitter is much closer to broadcast that way. I mean, I know it's for narrower groups that you can focus in on stuff, but it's very newsy. And that's a very um, culturally important thing, but it is something that's a little bit harder to monetize historically. Now, they might find ways to be able to monetize in a big way, but it's interesting that the stuff that always has been is more like we're talking about with Facebook, but also like we talk about with podcasts, right? So things that are very like niche in terms of like a magazine, I always compare podcasts to magazines um, because something that's like a, a trade magazine or whatever can mm-hmm. have very high ad rates for that thing, even though it's small, you know, the top you there, you can make the top 10% of podcasts probably could make some money advertising in them. And yet they have really small audiences Com- when you compare it to how many people are following someone on Twitter. Yeah you could have a much bigger number of followers on Twitter and not be able to actually, you know, make money. Monetize it. Yeah. It is interesting though. Like, um, it's almost like we're in this age of be your own brand Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, prior to, I don't know, early two thousands, let's say you wanted to be like a radio jockey. Yeah. 
or do some sort of long form content like that, you had to go and be a radio jockey. Right. You could start off a podcast. You could do your own videos. You could have your own Twitter and kind of have your own business behind it. But then, I mean, I mean, look at Howard Stern. He just resigned with Sirius. Um, Joe Rogan had his own, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And now he's with Spotify. Yeah, who knows? We could sell it. <laughs> yeah, I mean the 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 advantage for it, the the difference for it, right, is that you don't have these gatekeepers for mm-hmm. things, so that you could get it out there and then grow over time. To now, it's harder for you to discover you. That's always the argument is like discovery problem with podcasts that there's people who want podcasts and can't find them because there's so many podcasts and no one's telling you which ones I are think good. There's and which more aren't. podcasts than people. Yeah, um, but you are the 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 content isn't really decided on by advertisers or by um people who are kind of censoring the stuff right Mm -hmm. you know it's not as so it's isn't brought it's not it doesn't have to be as much in the general consensus right so you have more niche stuff that way and more personality driven stuff that's the advantage to it and that's the advantage that they have with the way it's set up right now for podcasting um some of these platforms it's a little different like with with podcasting, Apple just doesn't do anything with it. I mean, basically does the absolute minimum it could to eliminate any sort of stuff. But some of these we're talking about now, Twitter and stuff, they do remove some things, and mm-hmm. so they're, which is interesting because it does cause a bit of a problem. All of these platforms have always relied on this, um, this basic idea that human beings are not deciding what goes up and what doesn't go up that they're just a medium for things to go up and so they're not responsible for any of the content on it and lately that's changed a little bit if they choose to take some things down mm-hmm. so that kind of presents well, they, twitter we don't need to say right or wrong but they did ban yeah the president no no tw- twitter's, president. twitter's banned some things yeah so right or wrong that that's a pretty big precedent to set yeah and so it's it, not a small deal that, but in all the books that i read Every book that I read, lawyers always told them the same thing. Do not use a human being to moderate anything. Because once you do that, then you're going to have a problem. As long as you only use a computer to do any of this stuff, then you can always claim that you're not responsible oh, for yeah, any content. That, Sorry. No, you're not, you're not choosing anything. You have no editorial control over it. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, you know. It's interesting. I mean, some of you know, some of it was pretty. I mean, the Instagram thing. You know, there's quite a lot of drugs that were dealt through Instagram. We're reading through the Instagram oh, yeah. book, yeah, in the early days, and they yeah. they didn't make they you know, um, they kind of relied on that fact, even though they were aware of it and stuff, not to crack down on that. Well, so. it was a pretty big thing for them when they realized that people were running their businesses through yeah. Instagram in the early days. Whether yeah. it be drugs or like boutiques or yeah, anything. the most interesting one about all of that is eBay. eBay to me is the one that was most interesting, set the most precedent for that one. Reading that book, like the things that every day stuff was coming out there, they're like, oh, how there's no rules for this yet. They had no idea. So you know when people are selling like guns and things, they're like, okay, well, some of this stuff is legal, but some of this other stuff isn't legal that we shouldn't do. And then it's like Silk Road. Yeah, I mean the eBay stuff was really fascinating because they also had a kind of libertarian type band the early people Uh and so when they were trying to figure out when they were like 
we have to let them sell used underwear <laughs> because yeah. we let them sell used clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're like, but we know this is sex stuff, really. Yeah. And they're like, but how do we decide not to do that? And then, you know, uh-huh. and all that stuff was really interesting dealing with that for the first time because no one had ever done that. But a lot of these companies just copy, you know, what other ones are doing and they all kind of, if one person bans something, then they can all ban them, you know. Um, but the eBay one was really interesting because that was a really early dot com thing to make mm-hmm. a decision about all those kinds of things. And just all the stuff they could never guess was going to happen. Like, how would people use it? This is not how they expected them to use it. That's interesting. It's weird but, how things take their own form. Right? Yeah. Like I mean, the thing with all the books is that none of this is used the way the original person intended it to be. Yeah. Like, you know. Um, so that was interesting. The other thing that was interesting is I didn't realize in any of them how much human um effort was made to do certain things to increase the popularity of it and pay people and stuff rather than how much is done by algorithm oh yeah it's like that they yeah. were trying to get i mean bieber wanted to be like the spokesman of instagram and i think they wanted yeah. equity in instagram and i think they said no <laughs> yeah because that would have been a bad price to set for future deals yeah well. so i yeah so i didn't know about all of that with some of them which is interesting i'd say you know those guys sorry yeah the co-founders of instagram they went on patrick o'shaughnessy's podcast okay to talk. it was really great hearing yes. about like there's you know how they built it and kind of you know i mean the project i believe the funding they raised for yeah. instagram it was for a totally different company uh-huh i think it was for like uh i don't know if it was bourbon or something. it was something else it yeah. was something unrelated to instagram no, no, and then it became instagram. that's what it was yeah it's like one of them failed and then um they started this other app but it wasn't what I believe it wasn't what they actually raised the capital for. Of all the books I read, the Instagram people did sound most difficult. The founders, personality-wise, interesting. But then people. they get acquired by Facebook and having to deal with that. Yeah, I think they needed to be acquired. Mm. It sounded like uh, unusual founders for to be um, running a big company. Mm. Yeah, which is not true for like Facebook and Snapchat. They sound like people who would like to run a giant company. I like Evan Spiegel. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, so um, that yeah, that book I didn't love. Did you like that book? How to turn down a billion? Or yeah, whatever it was. I liked it. I read it. I read it years ago. Yeah, years ago. I, I, there's something about it that I felt. I think it's the sources they he was using or something. I guess is my feeling. Um, were limited in some way. You know, so I kind of felt like they were repeating the same sort of thing about it. Um, but what's wild when you hear, so like Facebook and then Snapchat, mm-hmm. both situations, there was a party that was involved in a big way that got booted out and then they had to settle later on. Yeah. Because he like sued them for stealing their idea or kicking them out. Yes, that's true. Because there was a third guy. Because there's uh-huh. Evan Spiegel and I forget yes. the other guy's name that does a lot of like the technical stuff. And then there was a third individual that I think it was actually his idea. And Evan Spiegel kind of took it and ran with it. Was it Reggie? Yeah, I don't I don't know. Yeah. There's not a lot about him online, but I did read. That There's did a lot in the book. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anytime you have something that becomes big like that, uh, you're going to have people claiming it. But also all these started out as one idea then they switched to something else which was also interesting thing reading about it is how they just kind of wanted to come up with an idea um and not necessarily that they had an idea of what it would eventually become that happened with all of them i guess is that 
people started to use it in a certain way and then they had to kind of shift to how those people um i guess how it was being used i mean some of them did have a clear idea i guess uh instagram did mm-hmm. instagram had a clear idea of what they wanted it to be and to some extent that's what it became but to other stuff it you know was things that they didn't necessarily want um, but they had a very clear vision. I guess of any of the ones I could think of, Instagram was the one that had a clear vision of what it wanted it to be and kept trying to make it. It was interesting how through the upload process, because back when Instagram first started uploading mm-hmm. pictures, and I remember too, it would take a long time. So what they did was something as simple as, as you're like creating the caption and putting the filter on, they were uploading the photo. Mm-hmm. So by the time you're ready to actually upload it, it's like on its way and gone. Yeah, there was a lot. Just convenience and stuff It was like interesting that. about how... Yeah, how quickly people would stop, might stop doing something if you didn't make it really fast, right? So making things very fast and easy that way. Um, it was very interesting, especially with reading the book about eBay, because how long everything took back then to do anything. Mm-hmm. And people ha- being shut down for so long. You know, I mean, that site went down all the time for long periods of time. Um, it was interesting to see the differences. Um, it does worry me, though. After reading all those books, it does worry me that the existing platforms can kind of make it more possible for other things to come on because of that. I don't think TikTok could have ever become as big as it did if there wasn't other stuff already up there that basically you put a watermark on it and that's how everyone finds mm-hmm. stuff, you know. Um, Do you remember Vine? Yeah. Twitter purchased Vine, I believe, and shut them down. Yeah, so Vine figures prominently in the TikTok story um, because it's pretty similar. I don't understand why they why that happened. Did they talk about in that book? Yeah, a little bit. Vine was really starting to pop off, and then it just vanished. Twitter acquired them. Done. Yeah. I don't know if they were ever able to. So there, so there's some stuff about Vine. There's stuff about a music thing there. There's, And then there's also stuff about the company that is now, that people refer to as TikTok and stuff, um, and what it was in previously, which is basically headline news stuff um in china so it it has all that stuff in it it's interesting you're not gonna get a lot of the personalities involved with it but of all the books i read it i think it does the best about describing um the actual reasons for people using the product and kind of why it went viral and those sorts of things the book may be unfair in some ways i don't know but you know it's a very calculated sort of thing about basically they knew what they were doing for virality it's not about the thing that you're seeing the platform of tiktok it is the algorithm underneath it sure and it but i mean the company is not really about short video stuff it's it's about any kind of content that could work the same way Hmm. so it's not what they aren't you know the book is kind of about how they're not skilled in any way about that so when you're comparing to Vine or something like that, I don't know the whole how Vine was able to spread things between uh, people that way. I mean, I think the book does get a little bit into that. Like One discovery. of the problems that Vine had is that it was very personality driven and had a few people who got very big on it. And they just said, well, we'll just go on to some other platform. Yeah, they hopped platforms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Went to YouTube. And they very intentionally, TikTok is designed not to be like that. Interesting. Yeah. In fact, there's- What's some- that book called? The book is called 
I don't know what the book is called. I'm bad with names. Too. Um, I'll look it up. Yeah, I'm trying to think what. Huh. Um. It's a very recent book. Uh, I'm trying to think. Because it, it it was published after the attempts to let's see, Trump when you're trying to. Oh yeah. yeah, no. So it, so it talked about that in the book. Yeah, but it doesn't get into a lot of details with that. So it's very recent. I mean, I don't want to recommend it as a great book or something because I think a lot of people will be disappointed by it. But I did think it was interesting, um, in describing how it works. Uh, TikTok for dummies. Nice. <laughs> yeah. In describing some stuff about how it works, and and I thought it was very honest that, that way. Actually, I, I of the ones that I read, I got to say I liked the TikTok book and the eBay book the best because I felt they really got into describing how how trying to explain the concept of what it is and how it really worked. Like, why did this happen? I felt they did a good job of that. But I kind of feel like other people might be more interested in the people, right? Like that. So, like the Instagram thing, you know, it'll tell you, it tells you a lot about the the founders and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. there may be people love the that there was a book about WeWork that I read, and I, it's not them. I love that book. It, see, yeah. So there book. you go. It was but, read like a it was a story. It's not so much about the technical, right? But could, but know? couldn't it instead be called um, Adam Newman, right? This is yeah, Adam Newman. Yeah, the Adam Newman story or something. I mean, yeah. it's like a, bi- a, it's a biography. A, by in by some it. ways, more about him yeah, even it than it probably is about we were. Totally. Yeah. 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 So, dollar loser. so I'm going to recommend the eBay book and the TikTok book. I can't remember the name of. With the caveat, <laughs> it's like way less about the people involved yeah. and way more interest they do they actually try to analyze why did this happen um and why did it spread the way it, it did and i think they're both kind of interesting that way i've never been on tiktok and never will be after reading the book don't want to be yeah you're not missing much yeah well maybe uh, i mean what's interesting about it is you're not well no one knows what you're missing because what's interesting about the the, the book makes it very clear is that everyone's experience of it is very different from everyone else's it's tailored to what you it's so have. heavily tailored that you have no idea what other people are what is going on with what they're seeing and it gets a little bit into that about how niche it is that way and how quickly it gets that niche so yeah it gets into subgroups of what people would be seeing very fast got it cool well how long have we been recording over an hour hour 10 minutes there we go. Freeform podcast. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us. Send us questions. Uh, you could email them, Andrew at focuscompounding.com or DM them to me on Twitter. I'm going to pull them and we will talk about them in the Freeform podcast that is coming out every Tuesday going forward. I want to thank everybody so much for all of the support and for listening today. And we will see you in the next podcast.